Ryan for doing a wonderful job leading us in our singing. Thank you to all of our brothers who've done a great job leading us in our worship to God. It has been a wonderful day to worship God. It's been a great, great time together worshiping our Father. If you have your Bible, I want you to go to our Father's Word, and I want you to go to a book that you should be very familiar with right now. It's the book of Revelation. Will you go to Revelation? I want you to go to Revelation 22. Go back to the chapter that Brother Mitch was teaching us from this morning. Revelation 22. Look at verse number 21. In Revelation 22, in verse number 21, the Bible says, The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Have you ever, have you ever found yourself in a position where you knew that you were not going to have any contact with the people that you love for a long time. You knew that you were not going to be able to speak and communicate with them in any way at all. You knew that you were not going to be able to call them or send them a text message. You knew that you were not going to be able to send them a tweet or an email. You knew that you were not going to be able to have any kind of any kind of video chats with them. You knew that you were not going to be able to have any kind of Zoom time with them. You were not going to be able to see them through Skype or FaceTime. You were not going to be able to even send them any pictures from your phone. You ever found yourself in a position like that before, believe it or not? But I actually have. I've actually found myself in a position like that before. Many of you know that about 15 years ago, about 15 years ago, I was blessed with an opportunity to spend about a month, a little over a month in Africa, preaching the gospel. I was actually able to spend time in two of the poorest countries in all the world, Zimbabwe, and Botswana. Let me tell you something, that was a trip that changed my life forever. That trip really made me appreciate living in America. That trip changed me forever. And before I got on the plane to go down there, my mentor who was traveling with me at the time, Max Dawson, he told me that when we got over there, I wasn't going to be able to have any kind of communication with my wife. He said that he had already been to those countries four or five times before, and when you get there, you are cut off from the rest of the world. You are cut off from the people in the states. He says that they don't have a lot of electricity in much of those countries. He said our, our cell phones are going to have absolutely no reception, and when it came to social media, well, let me tell you something, during that time, he didn't have to say anything about social media because there wasn't much social media. Social media hadn't really come onto the scene yet. It hadn't changed the world yet. I mean, you might have had MySpace and Pleonest, but that was about it. Remember those? And so I knew ahead of time, before I even got on the plane, that when I got there, I wasn't going to be able to talk with my wife for over a month. I wasn't going to be able to talk to her at all. And so the question I had to ask myself is, what was I going to say to her? 
What, what was I going to say to my wife knowing that I wasn't going to be able to have any kind of communication with her for over a month? What would be the, the last thing that I wanted my wife to remember before we cut off our communication? Well, there are at least three things I wanted my wife to remember before we cut off our communication. One, I wanted her to remember that I loved her. I wanted her to remember that I loved her more than anyone else. Secondly, I wanted her to remember to pay the bills on time. <laughs> and then thirdly, I wanted her to remember to record every Redskins game that came on television while I was away. Now, you can forget paying the bills. That's fine. But don't forget that. I have my priorities in line, you see? Those were the three things I wanted my wife to remember before we cut off our communication, and the reason I'm telling you that is because it occurs to me that God is doing something similar right here at the end of the Bible. God is doing something similar right here in the last verse of the Bible. You see, the last verse of the Bible is God's final message to mankind. It is God's final message to me and to you. It is the last thing that God has to say to us before his son comes back and the world is destroyed. Revelation 22 and verse 21. That's the last verse of the Bible. And since we're about to wrap up studying the book of Revelation in the next few days, if you don't mind, I want to talk about this verse. I want to talk with you about the last verse of the Bible this morning. I want to know what is the last thing that God wants us to remember as he concludes his complete and perfect revelation. What are some key words that we need to focus on in the last verse of the Bible? Well, I want to suggest that there are at least three words. There are at least three words that we need to really focus on in the last verse of the Bible. And the first word is this. The first word is grace. Grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus be with all, amen. What an interesting word to be found here at the end of the Bible. What an interesting word to be found here in, in the last book of the Bible, at the conclusion of the last book of the Bible. I mean, think about it. In a book that seems to be focused on the judgment of God that was soon going to come upon those who were persecuting his people. This book, the last book of the Bible, it doesn't end by, by talking about God's judgment. It doesn't end by talking about God's vengeance and God's wrath. Instead, this book of all books ends by talking about God's grace. Revelation, a book of judgment, ends by talking about grace. God's grace is found in the last verse of the Bible. And so I guess the question is, what is that? What is grace? Well, what is this word that we find in the last verse of the Bible? What is this word that so often is abused by false teachers and preachers in the religious world? Well, what is this word that unfortunately has become, become so controversial in the world today? What is this word that so often we like to stay away from as members of the church of Christ? What is? What is grace? What is grace? Well, listen very carefully. Grace. Grace is a big topic. 
It is the big topic in the Bible. Grace is really what the Bible is all about. Grace is what the beginning of the Bible is all about. And grace is what the middle of the Bible is all about. And grace is what the end of the Bible is all about. The whole Bible is about God's grace. The the whole Bible is about God's unmerited favor. The whole Bible is about God's goodness and his kindness and his compassion and his forgiveness being extended to a bunch of people who don't deserve it. People like Sean Jeffries, people like you, people like all of us in the room right now. We read about God's grace as early as Genesis 3 and verse 15. You're familiar with Genesis 3 and verse 15, right? You're familiar with how after Adam and Eve sinned, and we've talked about that, after Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, in Genesis 3 and verse 15, God promises to send a Savior, right? He promises to send a descendant of the woman who would come into the world and crush the devil on the head and make it so that we could have the penalty for our sins paid. Genesis 3 verse number 15 is the first prophecy concerning Jesus in the Bible. It is a prophecy about God's love. It is a prophecy about God's grace. It is a prophecy that is telling us grace is on the way. God's grace is on the way through Jesus Christ. Genesis 3 and verse 15 is a verse about God's grace, but it's not the only place in the book of Genesis where we read about God's grace. We also read about it in Genesis chapter 6 in the case of Noah. In Genesis chapter 6 and in verse number 6, the Bible says this. It says in Genesis 6 and verse 6, the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth. And he was grieved in his heart. The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land, from man to animals, to creeping things and the birds of the sky. For I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah, look at verse eight. Noah found what? Favor or grace. He found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Notice how during a time when God is fed up. During a time when God is hurt by sin. He is hurt by all the wickedness in the world. During a time when God is ready to to just wipe out everything and hit the reset button, there's one man who finds God's grace. Noah found grace. He found favor from God. He is saved here. He is saved because of God's grace. And then you go over to Genesis 19. Genesis 19, remember the story of Lot? God is about to wipe out the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And before doing that, he sends two angels to Lot's house. And and these two angels grab Lot and some members of his family, and they drag them out of the city. And in verse 17 of Genesis 19, verse 17 says, When they brought them outside, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you and do not stay anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains or you will be swept away. Let me tell you something. Even though Lot was a righteous man, and he certainly was, the Bible tells us that in the Old Testament and the New Testament, even though Lot was a righteous man who walked in the ways of God, he still didn't deserve that. He still did not deserve God sending him two angels. 
He still did not deserve to be spared from the fire and the brimstone that was coming upon Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot is saved here. He's saved here by God's grace. God's grace is found in Genesis chapter 3 in the Garden of Eden. And God's grace is found in the story of Noah. And God's grace is found in the story of Lot. And if you haven't noticed, we're not even out of the first book of the Bible. We're not even out of the first book of the Pentateuch. I mean, if you want to be here with me all day, we could do a deep study on how it was because of God's grace that the Israelites were delivered from several hundred years of Egyptian captivity. And how it was because of God's grace they were fed manna in the wilderness for 40 years. And how it was because of God's grace they were eventually brought into the promised land. And how it was because of God's grace that they were brought back to that land after 70 years of Babylonian captivity. God's grace is all throughout the Old Testament. And if it's all throughout the Old Testament, you know what that means? That means it's really all about and all throughout the New Testament. It's really all throughout the glorious gospel. In fact, the word grace is used about 120 times in the glorious gospel. And don't worry, we're not going to read all of those verses, but I do want to show you some. And I want you to go to John chapter one. Now, I'm going to have to go kind of fast here. So if you can't keep up with me, make sure you get a copy of the outline. All these verses on your outline that's on the website. I got to move fast due to time. We start with John chapter one. John chapter one in verse number 14. The Bible says and we read this verse this morning and the word became flesh. And he dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glorious of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. We drop down to verse number 17. It says, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. Go to Romans, Romans chapter 3, verse 24. After telling us that we've all sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God. In Romans 3, verse 24, it says, being justified as a gift by his grace. Through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Chapter, chapter 5, look at verse number 2. In chapter 5, and verse 2, after telling us that we are justified by faith in Christ Jesus, it says, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into the grace in which we stand. Notice how as Christians we stand. We stand in the grace of God and we exult in the hope of the glory of God. Verse number 21 of that chapter. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Chapter 6 and verse 23. Chapter 6 and verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God, that's grace. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's now go to ground zero. Ground zero when it comes to the topic of grace in the Bible. And that's the book of Ephesians. We go to Ephesians chapter 1, back to our scripture reading that Brother Stan did for us this morning. Ground zero when it comes to grace, Ephesians 1 and verse number 3. We see that for those who are in Christ, 
They receive access to every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's grace. Verse 4, God chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That's grace. Verse number 5, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. That's grace. Verse number 6, the praise, the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace chapter 2 chapter 2 and you were dead and your trespasses and sins that's talking about us before we gave our lives to God if we're Christians in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath even as the rest Verse four, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ by grace, by grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places and Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and that, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift. Salvation is a gift from God. Go down to one more place. I got to go to one more place to do this justice. I got to go to Titus. I love what Paul has to say in Titus. If there was anyone who understood God's grace, it was the chief of sinners, the Apostle Paul. And in Titus chapter 2 and verse 11, Titus 2 and verse 11, Paul says, for the grace of God has appeared. That's talking about Jesus. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. There are just so many other verses, so many other verses I could read to you this morning. But you see what I'm, you see what I'm talking about. You see the point I'm trying to make and the point I'm trying to emphasize. You see that when it comes to this idea of grace, grace is a big deal. Grace is a big deal in the gospel. Grace is a big deal in the New Testament. One of the key goals of the New Testament writers is to let us know that we have received God's grace. We have received God's favor. We have received God's kindness and goodness and unmerited favor. In fact, the number one way in which God has given us his grace is through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the ultimate expression of God's grace. Jesus Christ is the ultimate expression of God's goodness and love and favor toward us. Let me tell you something. I don't care how good we might think we are this morning. I don't care how much we read our Bibles. I don't care how much we study our Bibles. I don't care how much we pray. I don't care if we have perfect church attendance, and if we have perfect Bible class attendance, and if we do all kind of good works in the lives of other people. While those things are certainly right and noble and biblical and scriptural, as we talked about this morning, even if we did all those things perfectly, guess what? We still need God's grace. We still need what God has provided for us through Jesus Christ because we've all sinned against God and because the wages of sin is death. No matter how much good we do, we're always going to need God's grace.
we're always going to need the provisions that God has made for us through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. God's grace is what's going to save us. God's grace is what redeems us and makes it possible for us to be here with hope this morning. The Bible begins by talking about God's grace and it ends by talking about God's grace. The question is, how do we feel about God's grace? How do we feel about God's grace this morning? Does God's grace make us uncomfortable a little bit? Because of all the false teaching that's being done about God's grace, are we uncomfortable by God's grace, someone says, well, no, Sean, I'm not uncomfortable with God's grace. I love God's grace. I appreciate God's grace. I appreciate every wonderful thing the Bible says about God's grace. Well, my friends, if that's really true, and I hope it is, then that means you're going to do some very practical things in your life. That means that you're going to do your best to live right. That means you're going to do your best to walk in the truth. You're going to do your best to be holy. You're going to do your best to never misuse or abuse or reject the grace of God. You're going to do your best to make sure that you never foolishly use the grace of God as a license to sin. If you truly believe and appreciate the grace of God, you're going to do your best to, to live right. We're going to do our best to live right. And you know what else? If we truly believe and appreciate in God's grace, we're not going to be selfish. We're not going to get upset when people who have terrible backgrounds from the world decide to give their lives to the Lord. We're going to understand that God's grace is not just for us. It's not just for those of us who have grown up around members of the Church of Christ or we've been members of the Church of Christ for several decades. God's grace it's for everybody. It's not just for us. God's grace is, is not fair. If it was fair, we wouldn't get it either. God's grace is for anybody who decide that God decides he wants to give it to. It's for everybody. God decides who gets his grace. And so if we really believe in it and appreciate it. We're not going to be selfish with God's grace. And we're also not going to walk around proud and haughty. We're also not going to walk around like that Pharisee that Jesus talked about in one of his parables. We're not going to walk around thinking that there's ever enough good we could do in our lives to save ourselves. We're not going to walk around thinking that we can earn our way to heaven. We're going to always understand that no matter how much good we do in our lives, if we're going to make it to heaven at all, it's going to be by God's grace. God wants to remind us of that before he closes his word. He wants us to be reminded of the fact that we need his grace. But grace is not the only word we need to highlight from this verse. A second word that needs to be highlighted is the word Lord. Lord. Notice how the book of Revelation ends by referring to Jesus as the Lord. It doesn't end by referring to Jesus as the son of God, which he is. It doesn't end by referring to him as the Alpha and the Omega or the Lamb or the Lion that's from the tribe of Judah or even the faithful witness and the firstborn from the dead. If you remember, all of those terms are applied to Jesus throughout Revelation, right? Jesus caught all that stuff. 
throughout the book of Revelation, and yet none of those terms are used to describe him in the last verse of the Bible. None of them are used to describe Jesus in God's final words to mankind. Instead of calling him the Son of God and the Lamb and the Lion and the faithful witness, the Bible concludes by calling Jesus Lord. Lord, what does that mean? What does it mean for Jesus to be the Lord? Well, my friends, when the Bible calls Jesus the Lord, it means that he is the supreme ruler of the universe. It means that he has all authority and power. It means that he is the master. He is the main one that we must ultimately submit to in our lives. I got to tell you something that this truth right here, this truth we're talking about is something that most people, especially most Americans, they do not like. I mean, let's just be honest about it right now. Y'all know I'm telling the truth right now when it comes to most people, especially most Americans, they don't like anyone telling them what to do. Have you noticed that? Americans don't like people telling them what to do. They don't like being told where they can go and who they can marry and who they can have sex with, sex with and when it's okay for them to take the life of an unborn child. They don't like people telling them when it's okay to get a divorce and whether or not it's okay to drink alcohol and do drugs and how to dress and how to treat people and how to worship God and even how, how fast they can drive on the 202. Most Americans, they don't like being told what to do by anyone. Most Americans want to be able to do and have the freedom to do whatever they want at any time. And while that's the mentality that a lot of people have, notice how God concludes his book by reminding us that's not the way he wants it to be. That's not the way he wants it to be. The last verse of the Bible reminds us that God didn't put us on this earth and leave us to our own devices. God didn't put us on this earth and leave it so or make it so that we can just do whatever we want and there's not going to be any consequences. No, sir, and no, ma'am. God put us on this earth so that he can rule over us. He put us on this earth and he gave us a standard. He put us on this earth, then he put somebody in a position to rule and reign over us. Specifically, he's given Jesus the position to rule and reign over us. In case we forgot, God says, I'm not going to close my word until I tell you one more time, Jesus is the Lord. He's a supreme ruler. He is the one who has the right to tell us what to do because he created us and he died for us. And ultimately, it's going to be his standard by which we're going to be judged by on the last day. We talked about that this morning, didn't we? Before concluding the last book of the Bible, God says, I'm going to tell you one more time, one more time. Somebody has authority over you. Somebody has the right to tell you what to do. Somebody has the right to set the boundary for your life and my life. And our responsibility is to stay, is just to do our best to stay within the boundaries. We need to do our best to submit 
to the Lord. In fact, Jesus himself says in Luke 6 and verse 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not what? Not do the things. Not do the things that I say. God concludes the Bible by talking about grace. And by talking about the lordship of Jesus, and then a final verse, the final verse of the Bible is the word amen. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. This word amen that's found at the very end of the Bible is a word that is often spoken by God's people, right? It is often spoken in our worship assemblies. It is often spoken while sermons are being preached and songs are being sung, and especially at the conclusion of prayers. It is often used by the prophets and the priests in the Old Testament. It is often used by many of the New Testament writers, people like Paul and, and Peter. It is even used by Jesus in the New Testament in the form of verily, verily, or truly, truly. Jesus uses the, the same word, amen, all throughout his ministry. In fact, Jesus himself is even called the amen. And the faithful and true witness, he's called that in Revelation 3 and verse 14. And Paul describes Jesus in a similar way in 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 20. This word amen is a word that is found all throughout the Bible. It is a biblical word. The question is, what does it mean? Why does the Bible use this word so much? Why do we use it so much? Do we even know? Why we use this word so much? Well, there's a lot I can say about this word, but due to time, let me make it simple. This word that is translated amen in our Bibles is a word that simply means sure, faithful, and true. It is a word of strong Agreement and confirmation. It is a word of affirmation. It is a word that expresses the certainty of God and a deep desire for from his people that what he has said be so. Let it be so. That's the idea of amen. Let it be so. In the context of Revelation, John is essentially saying this. He is saying, let everything God has said in this book come to pass. Let it all be so. Let us all trust that everything has, that God has said in Revelation, it will take place. God will soon bring judgment and deliver and vindicate his people from the persecuting forces of the Roman Empire. God will soon vindicate his church. He will bring victory to his church. He will bring down the red dragon and the beast and the false prophet. He will ultimately one day bring us into heaven. He will ultimately one day wipe away our tears and make it so that we never again have to experience death and mourning and pain. He will give us access to the river and the tree of life. He will give us a crown of life if we're faithful until death. He will bless us to experience fellowship and, and in the perfect beauty and, and security of his house. 
John closes the last book of the Bible using a word that is designed to express confidence in the promises of God. He's telling us to have confidence in God's promises found in Revelation, but not just in Revelation. We need to have confidence in every promise God has made, period. We need to have confidence in the promise God has made to be with us and watch over us as his people even to the end of the age. Jesus makes that promise in Matthew 28 and verse 20. We need to have confidence in the promise God has made or the promises God has made us in regards to prayer. We need to have confidence that God will keep his promise to hear our prayers and attend to our prayers and answer and respond to our prayers in a way that is in our best interest. In fact, our confidence in the promises God has made us in regards to prayer, that's the main reason why we should be saying amen at the end of our prayers. We need to have confidence in the promises God has made in regards to prayer. And we also need to have confidence in God's promise to help us in times of trials and temptation. When we find ourselves being in situations where we're tempted with sin. When we find ourselves in a position like Joseph, we're having our Joseph moment when some trial or trouble or temptation is right before us. We need to trust in what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13, and that is God is faithful and he'll always provide us with a way of escape. We need to have confidence in that promise from God, and we also need to have confidence in the promise that Brother Mitch talked about this morning, the promise God has made to forgive us. And to cleanse us whenever we repent of our sins. And we wouldn't be doing this point any kind of justice if we didn't mention the promises God has made in regards to the second coming of Jesus and the end of the world. Promises like you find in Acts 1 and verse 11 where two angels say, This Jesus who has been taken up into heaven will come again in just the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Jesus makes a similar promise in John 14 and verse 3. When he says, I go prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. Do you remember where Paul promises through inspiration of the Holy Spirit? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 16, Paul says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God and the dead, and Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be called together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. That is a promise God is making through the apostle. And then in 2 Peter 3, in 2 Peter 3 and verse 9, Peter says, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come. That is a promise. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people are you to be in holy conduct and godliness looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat, but according to his promise. According to his promise, we're looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. You see the point? 
you see that just like the saints who are being persecuted that we can read about in the book of Revelation, God has also made us some promises. Just like he made them promises, well, he's made us promises. He's made me promises. He's made you promises. And we need to trust in those promises. We need to have confidence in those those promises. We need to live our lives with a mindset of, let it be so. When it comes to those promises. And so what have we studied this morning? Well, we studied the last verse of the Bible. We've studied the last thing that God has to say to mankind before his son comes back. The question is, have you taken God's last verse to heart? I mean, have you done what the verse is telling you to do? Have you accepted God's grace on his terms? Have you submitted to Jesus as the Lord? Are you living your life every day trusting in the promises that he has made? If you've yet to do that and you want to, you can do that today. Today you can receive the grace of God on his terms and you can submit to Jesus as the Lord. If you are willing to confess your faith in Jesus, believe in him as the son of God and the Lord, repent of your sins and obey his commandment to be baptized in water for the forgiveness of your sins. If that is your desire this morning, then we certainly would love to help you make Jesus the Lord of your life. You know, that's something-